Man, I love how we were like, yeah, happy birthday, Clay, but 300! Am I right? <laughs> yeah, Clay, who cares, all right? Let us know when you turn 300, and then we'll be just as impressed. Seriously, that's, that's really impressive, Wesley. Um, that's, that's crazy. The highest I've ever bowled is probably 30. Uh, if, I do like sports a lot, but when you get me in a bowling alley, if you want to beat me at a sport, that's, your, that's like the easiest way to do it, is get me in front of a bowling And I'm just like, man, I, I don't understand how it works. I try to spin it, and it just goes the wrong direction every time. Um, okay, guys, well, uh, if you guys want to open up any note-taking apps or whatever you guys use to remember things outside of just your hippocampus, it uh, would be a good time to do so. Um, so we're going to continue our series uh, on seeing Jesus, and just I, I feel like I have to remind people why we're doing this series, although it is a great series to get to just kind of look at uh, the person of Jesus and kind of some of his characteristics, um, today being his humility. Um, you know, it's also the reason we're doing that is in hopes to kind of like uh, galvanize you to do this actual study with people. Like that's kind of the goal. Like this is an actual Bible study that we have on our website under resources. If you just scroll down to the bottom, click resources and you click seeing Jesus, there's even a for print version of it. And we hope that you will use it because it's such an easy resource to have some meaningful conversations with people about Jesus. And there's no one that teaches the study. If you're like, I can't teach the Bible to anyone, that's okay. You're both just going to sit at the feet of Jesus and look at two Bible verses together. It's so simple. So whenever I've done this, I've done it with, uh, with a number of people. And when I've done it, I have lunch. A lot of guys, you know, they, the best time that you can get them is on a lunch break. Most guys got about an hour for a lunch break. So for the first 30 minutes, we are ordering our food and hanging out and talking, catching up on life and things like that. And then for the last 30 minutes, we just look at these two verses and kind of chew on uh, what it means about who Jesus is and what it means for us. There's just three really simple questions involved every time. Very, very easy. So I want to encourage you guys, if you have not actually thought about doing this with someone, or if you haven't started it with someone yet, or invited someone into it, think of that coworker that you could do that with. Think of that person that you know in your neighborhood that you could do that with. Think about uh, even a, a, an extended family member or a close family member who you could do this with. It's very simple. It's very disarming because it's not asking people a huge list of questions or anything like that. It's just saying, let's go look at Jesus together. Okay, so that's my plug for us doing that, right? And also it connects to our, our three values that, that we're really trying to heat up this year, uh, especially in terms of intentional living. Okay, so today's, uh, today's uh, uh, lesson, Bible study, whatever, uh, is on uh, his humility, which let's all just take a moment to laugh at the irony that I'm the one that got charged with preaching this sermon. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. I don't exactly remember how it happened, all I know is that when I saw it, I was like, man, this stinks. I would rather preach on something I feel like at least I could make some ostensible claim to being good at. You know what I mean? But this is one that just is not, it's just not great. I just want to go ahead and get it out there. I'll let the public record state that I'm a prideful person. And I don't mean like I used to struggle with pride, okay? I mean like in the most active sense of the word I could possibly imagine. It would be like me like preaching a sermon about like the dangers of smoking while smoking two cigarettes out both sides of my mouth. Like that's, I don't know how else I could describe that. 
I wish that I wasn't. In fact, I wish I wasn't a lot of different things. I don't know about you guys. Did you guys ever wish that about yourself? Like, why am I the way I am? You know, it's the Michael Scott to Toby question, except it's about me. I'm like, I've asked myself that. I'm like, why am I the way I am? I wish I could change it. And sometimes after I've, not sometimes, oftentimes after I've done something, I'm like, why am I that way? Why, do, why couldn't I be better than that? Why couldn't I be different than that? But I will say, to my credit, I do have a fascination, at least, with humility. And I admire it greatly <laughs> in others. <laughs> Similarly to seeing a caged animal that is much different than I am. <laughs> I admire it greatly. And I do aspire to one day become humble. So, uh, you know, uh, and I, I, I'm filled, my life is filled with examples of people around me that are very, very humble. I think of people like Grant Beal, who I get to spend time with every few weeks. Uh, what a humble guy. The dude's like a, like a, I don't even know. I think he makes helicopters with his bare hands. I'm pretty sure that's what he's doing there. I think all the helicopters you see flying, Grant made those. Um, you know, you've got Leslie Rowe, who's just this wonderful woman of God, and she's like, Garrett, teach me how to do ministry. And I'm like, Leslie, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? Like, are you joking me? Like, this woman just is so, uh, such an amazing follower of Christ and has such a gift with ministry. I think of my good buddy Tyler Marble, who although he's a, I think he's a captain now. I think he's a fire captain. Is that what you call him? When they're, is it a fireman captain or is it a fire captain? So he's a fire captain and the dude is just a, a, a wonderful man of God. Just so solid, so loving, so kind, and yet he's just so humble. And he was my friend. It's one of the reasons I loved uh, so much uh, to, to be his friend is because he was just so different than me in that way. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, I think of a, there's a lot of other examples uh, of, of humility in this church and in our churches at large. And I, I, just, I just wonder at how I can have a spirit like theirs. I wonder at what that would even look like um, to have that kind of spirit. I've become more and more convinced uh, through study and, you know, experiencing it in other people's lives that humility really is the bedrock of a fruitful faith. And what I mean by that is humility is what brings us to our knees before Jesus and asks him for help. It was humility that caused the blind man to yell out in the crowd full of the religious elite, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. And they all shushed him. And he's like, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. He, he embarrassed himself to do that. It was humility that brought the woman to Jesus' feet, Mary, uh, uh, wiping uh, her tears on his feet with her hair. I mean, a little weird, but very humbling, okay? It's these people that actually, the ones, it was the publican, that stands before the temple that beats his breast and just says, have mercy on me, a sinner. It is humility that really allows us to come to Christ, and it is what keeps us pursuing Christ. And I'm reminded of this video that I saw a few weeks ago of this, uh, this little baby goat who was just chasing down its mom to get some milk. And I mean, this mom wanted, she was like, I'm done. I have nothing left. And all the moms in here are like, I know exactly what that feels like. And the, and the baby goat's just relentless in its pursuit because it needs that milk. It's the same way a humble person knows how much that they need God. And on the flip side to that of, you know, humility being the bedrock of a fruitful faith, pride is this virus to faith. 
and I'm, it's just the stickiest evil in the world. If you think of evil as being like a black tar that kind of sticks to you, because it's never, it's never smooth. Pride is never an e or not pride, but sin is never just this like easy, quick, get it off kind of thing. Anyone that's ever worked on cars, it's, it's the, the axle grease of the world. It's just, you got to use some special scrub and it's still going to be on your hands. Have you ever seen my brother's hands who works on cars? That dude's hands are gross a hundred percent of the time. It doesn't matter how much soap that he puts on it. And also he just refuses to wear gloves uh, and just normal things like that. But it's just this gross stuff and pride is the stickiest of it all. It's everywhere and no matter how good you become, it remains the worst and easiest sin to engage in at any given time. Even if you are super humble, you'll begin to say, I have become humble. (laughs) Pride works that way. It's subversive and it's invisible most of the time. It reminds me of carbon monoxide poisoning. It'll kill you before you even know it. It's tasteless oftentimes. You can't smell it, you can't see it, but you will be engaging in it and you won't even know. And ultimately, it's the sin that Adam and Eve engaged in. It's that very same sin of providing for ourselves. And the more that I've studied it, the more I think pride is mainly something that resembles just self-dependence over against God-dependence. Where we place ourselves high instead of placing ourselves low. And it's quite a bit more complicated than that, obviously. So hopefully these verses that we're going to look at today, these are the verses that are in the actual study, can help us out. So rather than like any kind of like points today, I'm just going to use those two verses and we'll kind of just exegete a little bit those passages and, and talk about how they might relate to humility. So for those of you that are like, but what about the points? I went ahead and wrote three points for you guys that I'll never mention again after I say them. Does that sound good? Nor will I spend any time persuading you of their veracity, okay? So, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I thought that was quippy too. All right, so number one, humility is knowing exactly what you are and still choosing something much lower. Number two, humility is complete reliance and dependence on God with no room for reliance and dependence on self. And number three, humility is about having a deep sense of one's littleness and of God's bigness. Those are your points for the day. Okay, now to the verses. So, We're going to read John 13, 1 through 10, starting out, and then we will move into the Matthew verse. And in case you can't tell the way that seeing Jesus is laid out, there's always a uh, a story involving Jesus regarding that subject, and then a teaching of Jesus on that subject. So that's the way that I kind of laid that out. Okay, so John 13, 1 through 10. I'll be reading out of the NASB. For those of you that want to navigate to that on your phones, if you have a hard time kind of tracking with different translations, the NASB. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved those, sorry, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid his outer garments aside. 
and he took a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. So he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, and he said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Otherwise, he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Okay, so, famous verse, obviously. Easy to kind of like figure out, like from, if you're in jam, like, so guys, here's what it means to be humble. You wash people's feet, right? You know, take, you wash their feet. And if you're my kids, you're like, huh, well, why? Like, why wash their feet? Because feet aren't especially gross today, but we'll get into that later, okay? Actually, I, I tend to think feet are pretty gross today. I'll just say they're not as gross as they used to be, okay? We'll just say that. The evolution of foot cleanliness has come a long way. So for, for context, all right, so in chapter 12, just before that, what you find is that Jesus has triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, and everybody is pumped about this. Uh, of course, there's all these like subversive images going on, like the fact that he shows up on a donkey, which would be like me showing up to a car show in like a 1983 Ford Ranger. Sorry about that for those of you guys that, uh, that like that car. Um, it's no, not bad. Um, so, uh, and, and they're, they're, they're waving these palm branches. Everyone's like super pumped, you know, that, that Jesus is there. It's great, right? Um, so he's got this triumphant entry into uh, to Jerusalem. And then also Mary has just anointed him with perfume. And the word anointed is what's used there, which is the word of what? That's a word that represents kingship. There we go. Kingship. That's what you did for kings. You anointed him. So you've got this as the, 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 the prequel to this whole story. Is that G- And John does not make accidents in his gospel. Okay, He's very much setting this up. He is returning to Jerusalem as the king. He's been anointed as king, even though that anointing is different than most anointings. All right, He's been anointed uh, with perfume. Uh, by a poor woman, as opposed to, you know, by some priest or a king, that kind of stuff, uh, which says also a lot about the way that the Bible views women. Uh, long story short, positively. Um, <laughs> just making sure we're on the same page. Uh, and then, so, so he's got this, right? So that's the setup for this whole thing. And, and uh, there's, what's going to happen afterwards, okay, is that his disciples, the guys he spent the last three years around, who, by the way, are and have become his closest friends. I think we tend to dehumanize Jesus. These guys he spent 24 hours a day around for three years, okay? Like, they were best buds, the very best buds. They loved each other with a brotherly affection, as well as with, you know, agape, um, and they really, in the storge, they just really enjoyed each other's company. I think people forget that, that these were his best friends who he had come to, to know so well and who had come to know him. They all are about to flee. 
Peter, his very best friend in the world, is about to deny that he even knows him at his hour of most need. And while he is grappling with that cup of wrath that he is about to have to drink, which God himself, Jesus, is afraid to drink, okay? While he's grappling with that, these doofuses fall asleep under a tree because they're pretty tired. It's unreal. He's been anointed on the front end, and on the back end, he's got the full knowledge that these guys are going to just split. They're going to go and do their own thing. Now imagine knowing those things and then doing what he does here in this verse. See, I find myself primarily thinking that Jesus is doing this whole thing just to teach him a quick lesson. You know what I mean? Where you do something like for someone that you don't normally do, nor will you ever really probably do it again, but you did it to set a good example for them. Uh, But I don't think that's what's going on here. John refers to his love being one of the things that drives this engagement. He says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So it's really his deep servant-hearted affection for undeserving people that drove his humility. And if you have a hard time thinking about servant-hearted affection for undeserving people, just think of the acronym SHAFOOP. (laughs) And you'll never forget it from there on. Servant-hearted affection for undeserving people. Shifu. You can tell I've spent too much time around JVR. That's something he would do for sure. And I would roll my eyes at it and then remember it for the rest of my life. Servant-hearted affection for undeserving people. Certainly these disciples were undeserving. Certainly this servant-hearted affection was what drove him in terms of the way that he interacted with him. So I ask myself the question, who do I have servant-hearted, deep servant-hearted affection for? And if my answer is for only a few people or for those closest to me, then if you want to know your relative level of humility, look only at that. Because they go hand in hand. So we find as a baseline that if we wish to grow in humility, we have to cultivate that deep servant-hearted affection for undeserving people. I'm fairly convinced that the only way to develop that kind of affection is for us to fill our minds and our hearts with, over, with other people over against ourselves. Whenever I ask people what's the primary fodder of their prayers, almost never do they say other people. I say, what do you really talk to God the most about? It's you. It's me. It's my life, my problems, my stuff. But if you go and you look at the scripture and look at Jesus' prayers... What's he primarily praying about? There's always this sense of other people that he's praying. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for believers everywhere. He's praying for the kingdom. He's praying God's will. Like, there's, a, there's a sense in which his heart and his mind is just filled with other people. And I can't think of much as a better example of humility than a humble person is someone whose heart and mind is filled with other people. They're filled with other people, not so much themselves. That doesn't mean you can't talk to God about yourself, by the way. Just asking, what's the balance look like for you, personally? If you prayed for them, do you think God's not going to take care of you? Hey God, I've got to pray for me. I've got to make sure that my stuff gets out there before, because God didn't know it, right? He wasn't aware of what I really needed. I needed to kind of make sure that that was known. I don't have time to pray for other people if I'm doing that. But if I know that God is good and that he looks after me, 
If my heart is truly humble, then my heart will be filled with other people. I'm interested in the good and the needs of others, not just myself. So if we want to fill our hearts with that kind of affection, we maybe, through prayer, might consider them more, pray for them more, and actually end up loving them more. So now that we have that as a baseline, too, let's turn our focus to feet, as promised. Feet are super gross, uh, especially feet in that time period. They didn't have hokas uh, or Dr. Scholl's or those really neat deodorizer balls that you could put in your shoes after you use them. And I have to point out here that I, I, I want you to get a visual image of what the feet of someone who's wearing sandals in Jerusalem in the first century, who does not take, they don't take showers every day, okay? You need to understand that. Like, that's not a thing, uh, or every week. Like, that's not a real thing, okay? Um, and so, just picture these feet of these men who were walking in the heat, in the sand, with sandals, Okay? That's nasty. And I'm not saying it as a joke even. I know it's kind of funny, but it's real gross. You guys, like real actual gross. That's why foot, foot washing was done by slaves. Is they were considered the only people who were low enough to touch someone else's feet like that and to clean someone's feet. It was a shame. To have your dirty feet touched by others Someone above a slave would have been embarrassing to you as well because you were aware of how gross your feet were. Now, imagine them being touched by your teacher. Or what about being washed by your master? Now you get why Peter has some hesitation. Peter's not just being a humble dude here, okay? Peter's not just being a humble dude. I don't think that's what's going on. If he was, then I think Jesus would have affirmed him. Well, I imagine the disciples felt pretty self-conscious about their feet, especially now that Jesus was looking so closely at them and touching them with his bare hands. What did it feel like for Jesus to have washed their feet? If you were Jesus, what did you feel? What did you smell? What did you see? So often we're, we're busy in the scriptures uh, turning them into ideas, that we forget that this is eyewitness historical testimony of a real actual fact. And Jesus was not just dealing with the souls of people. That I just now realized. I just got a really good, I just got a really good one. Thank you. Thank you. He was dealing with the souls of people. Oh my gosh. Guys, that was unintentional. I have to say, that really is not in there. Someone come check my notes. Um, <laughs> Jesus really, he, we, we turn it into this spiritual thing, but, but God knows us. He made you. He made your, he's, it's like a parent, you know, with kids. You've seen everything, everything, the stuff that you don't, you've touched the stuff that you're like, what is happening right now? Like, how is that even possible? Like, what, what is that? Okay. I don't even know most of the time. What did it, what is it actually that he was physically there doing this? And what about this towel that's tied around his waist? Did you just think that that was like a thing? I tended to think that was just a thing. Like clearly, obviously, if you're going to wash someone's feet, <laughs> do that. I don't know about you guys, but if I was going to wash someone's feet, I wouldn't want the towel on me. I'd be like, all right, if I have to do it, like I'm going to keep the towel separate. New towel for every set of feet. All right? Just to be there with my plastic gloves on. All right? A little bit of a germ freak in case you can't tell. Why did he tie it around his waist? 
By the end of it, you can imagine, Jesus has just washed all of his disciples' feet. What did that towel that was tied to him look like? Why does it mention twice that it's tied to him? Super interesting stuff there. But by the end, you see Jesus with this towel, filthy with the dirt and grime of their dirtiest part around his waist and attached to him. The obvious image here is that he had taken their, their dirt upon himself. He wore it. He didn't just throw it to the side. There's no, there's no image other than just Jesus, God of the universe as a man, standing with a towel with his hands looking like, I don't know, and the towel just covered with filth. That is the image of humility. It's the best image of humility that I can possibly imagine. The dirtiest parts he had brought on himself and wore their grime, though he was their master and their Lord and their God. To wear the others, to wear others grime as an act of love, agape love, servant-hearted love, to find the worst parts of people, their dirtiest and most vulnerable faults, lies, situations, and sins, and to get on your knees and help them become clean, that is humility. To touch them like Christ touched the leper. To wear their dirt on you as if it was your own. That's true humility. I'm overwhelmed because I think about how many people have done that for me. And I think about how embarrassing it was for me to show that part or to let that part of myself be washed or touched by someone. And I think about how deeply impactful it was for me to have experienced it. For us to know the love of God, I think that we've got to have been served humbly by somebody else oftentimes. Because humility knows nothing of being grossed out. And it knows nothing for self-concern about being sullied. I grew up with, um, with, with eczema. Like, does anyone have eczema problems in here? Let me get a whoop. So, I don't know if it was eczema or psoriasis or whatever, but it sucked, guys. It's just like, hey, you're not doing anything wrong. You're just kind of living your life, and then your body's like, attack us. <laughs> and uh, just, your body just starts putting, you know, scales on you, basically. You get these red rashes and bumps all over you and it itch like crazy and you just it's just gross and dry and nasty. sometimes it's dry, sometimes it's like oozing. It's just disgusting, man. I hate it so much. And I remember as a teenager, John Von Runnen coming and picking me up from school. I know that I typically have some cries, but I don't like to cry this much. Um, but he picked me up from school and, and we would... Uh, We'd go have a Coke, and he would talk to me about my life. And I think about what 7th or 8th grade Garrett would be talking to him about right now. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Complaining about less, probably. Which, for good reason. I'm just joking, Dad. (laughs) Happy Father's Day. (laughs) (laughs) I got you. I knew I'd get you back one day. So, 
Try complaining about whatever. And so not only is he showing humility by doing that, but then we'd be in his car and he'd be like, all right, let's pray. And if you know John, John's super affectionate. If you know me, I'm super not. And John would hold my hand and he, he, he knew my hand. He saw, he'd seen my hand and I had it all over my hand. In fact, I was so, so deeply embarrassed by it. Thanks, buddy. Happy 25th. (laughs) People on the recording have no idea what just happened. But John would, he would take my hand and he would hold it in his hand. He would hold it waffle style, which is the most intimate of all hand holding things. And I, I hated it at one time, but I also felt so loved and seen by him in that moment too. And he would do that and he, and he would joke around about it too. He'd call it my funk. <laughs> but that's real humility. It's, it's being able to do that with people. It's holding their hand. It's, um, you know, being willing to, to engage in the worst stuff, the hardest stuff. And not just necessarily their sins and their shortcomings, because for sure that's a part of it, but also just the stuff that they are most ashamed of and the stuff that they they need us to find them in. So as a quick recap of that verse, humility requires developing a servant-hearted affection for undeserving people. (laughs) And then also... (laughs) Shifoop. It's also super fun to say... (laughs) And then B, humility requires tying a towel around our waist so as to get our hands dirty, serving people at their worst and or in their most demanding needs. All right, let's look at Matthew 1 through 12. This one's a little bit shorter. (laughs) When I say it's... Sorry. (laughs) Chapters 1 through 12. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Sorry. (laughs) I'm like, <laughs> I start, once, don't, when we get out of the genealogies, guys, you guys are going to be just fine, all right? We just got to get out of the genealogy in Matthew first. You're going to like it. Golly, I've completely lost control of this sermon. All right. All right, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Let's read it. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in this same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's a lot uh, of, of scriptures I could have chosen here about humility, even ones that specifically mention humility. But whenever I think of humility in the spirit of humility, I think of the Beatitudes. It just captures the spirit of humility so perfectly. 
Humility is a poorness of spirit. It's being empty of yourself. Realizing you need God for everything and not just some things. It's a dependence on God rather than on ourselves. Humility has a natural connection with mourning in some ways. Humble people make the pain of others their own pain. They willingly enter into death, defeat, and sorrow with people. Humility is gentleness or meekness. It doesn't demand, it invites. It doesn't break the bruised reed. It's careful and it's thoughtful and it's really kind. A humble person also has a huge appetite for God. They hunger and thirst for righteousness because they recognize that nothing else is filling, especially the praise of people. They also recognize that righteousness is not something that they can have in themselves, not something they can work hard to achieve, but that only God can make us right before him. Humility is merciful in and of itself. A humble person recognizes their estate, that they are a sinner and that they are broken and no better than any other person on earth. Yes, even that politician that you love to hate. They recognize that they have no high ground to stand on. So they easily and quickly forgive people of their wrongs. Humility is pure in heart. There are no ulterior motives in a humble person. They don't act humble in order to be considered humble. They truly and simply are concerned with God's perspective. Humility is peacemaking. A humble person can find common ground because they aren't dead set on defending their own ground. They aren't concerned with power, so they willingly give up whatever they have of it. And they prioritize people, so they prioritize peace. And finally, a humble person is an offense to our world, so they will be mistreated. They'll be taken advantage of, mocked, and persecuted because they stand in contrast to the norm. Oftentimes, they'll simply be disregarded as weak, unimportant, unimpressive, and ineffectual. But because they continually place the needs of others first, yes, especially in the case of speaking the bold truth in love, they will be persecuted. So I'm going to finish us today with a, uh, an actual, a, a Jesuit prayer, if I'm allowed to do that. It's called a Christian litany of humility. And I want us to pray that together as a church. So I'm going to pray it over us to finish this out today. O oh Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire to be esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. And from the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being slandered, deliver me, Jesus. 
From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus. Grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus. Grant me the desire, the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may de- decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything, Jesus. Grant me the grace to desire it. And that others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Amen. You guys go in peace. Have a great Sunday.